Hello and welcome to Mental Awakening, the podcast that explores all topics related to trauma recovery, mental health, chronic pain and healing. I'm your host, Sarah Dekeely, and today I'm going to talk about survival archetypes. I'll discuss um, some of the main survival archetypes and offer listeners an insight into how these archetypes have a powerful influence on the roles that we play and the personality traits that we take on. Welcome everybody. It's now Saturday morning and I'm sitting down with my cup of coffee and ready to speak to you guys a little bit about the victim and the martyr archetypes. So what are archetypes? Well, they are universal inborn models of behavior or personalities and the roles that we take on that influence our human um, existence. So they were first introduced by the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung, whom you may have heard of, who suggested that these archetypes were innate human knowledge that were passed down from our ancestors. So there are universal projections of the collective thoughts and emotions of humanity, basically, and commonly called the collective unconscious. Archetypes provide us with models of what we are and what we hope to become. And they teach us about our own inner qualities by showing us the scoop of the human condition. So life often offers us an opportunity to see our own archetypes and how they play out, um, acting as a mirror for our inner state and showing us how we can move forward on our path of self-development and self-discovery. For me personally, gaining insight and understanding these survival archetypes has offered me a lot of wisdom into myself and shown me aspects of my personality, if not a big chunk of my personality, that developed around these archetypes as a way to survive life, as a way to cope, as a way to receive that love, attention, adoration, affection, whatever it could be, as a way to be seen. We can often learn a lot about ourselves by remembering some of the myths and stories that we cherished as children because they tend to show us what was honored in our home and our communities and what was deeply imprinted on our minds. I mean, if I think of my own life, I often, you know, looked up to and fantasized about being Cinderella. I felt somewhat trapped in my home as a child and obviously I didn't know that at the time but I would look into these stories as a way to cope with my situation. So in that particular example Cinderella was a good girl. She was a people pleaser, she was a martyr, she was a rescuer, she was an empath and that's exactly what I was looking up to. That's exactly what I took on because in my mind as a little girl, all I could think about was if I behave in the same way, then eventually I will be rewarded. Eventually I will be seen and saved and rescued by a knight in shining armor. So you might find it useful to know 
which myths have influenced your life. A lot of people um, tend to, you know, during childhood, especially boys, look up to these heroic figures, um, you know, whether it's Batman or Superman or some kind of savior, and take on a lot of that. I mean, if you, if you loved um, Oliver Twist, for example, or the Count of Monte Cristo, or it could be anything, Aladdin, you know, just any, any rebellious story or myth or character, then that might be how you might go about life, rebelling against things as a way to feel strong. And these are all subconscious, right? These are not things that we actively are aware of until we understand and learn about them. So we, we also assimilate the impressions that we receive from fashion, from music, from um, advertisement. And as we integrate their messages, we make their ideals a big part of our lives as well as our own individual myth. So we basically write the scripts of our own dramas. And it's really important to know at which level you're participating in this drama. Are you starring as the victim or the hero, um, the warrior or the servant? And so it's really valuable for us to be aware of these scripts. For They probably won't serve us. They served us while we were little and young because we were trying to cope and didn't really have a lot of insight into ourselves. But they don't really serve us as adults. And yet it's so hard to get rid of them because they've become a big part of our personalities. Um, for me personally, it wasn't until I had the courage to look at my own background, my own upbringing, including my parents' unhappiness and boredom, that I realized how unfulfilled they were. My mother, for example, was never happy. I never recalled her being happy in her marriage um, with my father. And I know now that a lot of that was because of how unfulfilled she felt. Her archetype was the martyr and her myth was about the princess who could never find happiness. No matter what she had, it was never good enough. And it also became quite toxic. And as long as she remained a martyr, she could never really find the happiness she so desperately wanted. So that kind of became a big part of her personality, her identity, and how she perceived herself. And that's also what I witnessed as a child. I witnessed my mother being a martyr, which is exactly what I ended up taking on, um, the role that I took on for myself. As the oldest, I was expected to make everybody happy, or that's kind of what I thought. And it was my role to get things right for my family, to make sure that, you know, I was the peacemaker in many ways. I was also the savior, the rescuer, the bleeding empath. And it took me a lot of time and real work on myself before I could start living from the place of a place in me that felt real and not a place that was filled with these myths and archetypes and personality traits that no longer serve me. We also have positive archetypes 
And this is something that we often see playing out perhaps in a movie or documentary or um, real-life television show where we watch someone exhibiting, you know, courageous traits or, you know, heroic um, traits or kind of triumphing over adversity. And so I just want to highlight that a lot of that can be very inspiring the stories that we watch uh, about how people cope or kind of live through difficult situations and transform their grief or anger or, you know, regain their sense of self-esteem. These are all archetypal um, examples as well. So there are positivities to our archetypes, but really what I've come to realize is that the end goal is to know that you're not an archetype. You are so much more than this body and mind, this personality and your circumstances. You are the one awareness that has chosen to experience life as you. You're literally a pure, loving presence, whatever you want to call it, being. And doesn't matter what you do and don't do, you will always be loving. You will always be worthy of love and worthy of whatever it is that you desire in life and having to play a role or carry some kind of a mask is not really who you are it's just the things we do as a way to survive the world and the reason we do that is because archetypes are very much connected to the ego they are the many faces of the ego particularly the survival archetypes and I'm going to explain a bit more about that now. So if you think about it, when we have worn, like after all of these decades, especially since childhood, uh, wearing these different masks so well that we don't really know what's false, what's true, who am I really without these roles and masks that I've been playing and carrying for so many years. And the ego becomes a big part of that. It won't actually be something that we can dismantle until we start to walk towards our sense of wholeness. And so what does that mean? It's not an easy thing to do, by the way. But what it actually means is that you're not trying to necessarily get rid of your ego or kill it, but that you're trying to heal the inner spaces where your true self failed to develop, where you actually somehow along the way since childhood failed to develop that part of you that is who you really are that authentic self that i have often referred to even in previous episodes uh, the first one that i want to start with is the the victim the victim is oh, so so sneaky i know for myself i have spent many 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 years in the victim um, archetype and the reason for that was because that's kind of what I witnessed you know in my own family and also we went through a lot so of course I'm not going to see myself as empowered I'm going to see myself as a victim I was bullied at school my family went through a lot of different hardships as I mentioned um, I was a refugee child I went through an eating disorder and various other mental health challenges there was so much stuff that went on and on, you know, just it's a bit like when you're first born, you are like this beautiful house 
you know, every window is open, the sun is shining through, you're beautiful and the house is beautiful, everything feels warm and loving and safe in this home. But then every time something happens, a window shuts in this house and the darkness starts to creep in. So the first time you get hurt by someone or the first time someone might um, reject you or you might hear your parents say something about you that's hurtful or your sibling or your um, teacher or, you know, other family members, then another window shuts in this home and more darkness creeps in. So this is kind of how it works. The more challenges you experience and painful experiences that you have in your life, the darker this home becomes and the less joy, the less confidence, the less safety you will experience within yourself because that's what the mind does. The mind collects these memories and then will do everything it can to protect you from ever going through them again. Our culture and society feeds into this quite a bit. I mean, it doesn't really help. Um, and if we turn on the news or even just read the paper or talk to our neighbor or to anyone else, there's this collective way of thinking that is very much based around fear. So if we take a look at the values of an unconscious society, we can see that there's a lot of emphasis placed on glorifying busyness and um, your career is what gives you your sense of self-worth, materialism, you know, endless consumption, financial success over happiness, competition, you know, there's not enough room for everybody, there's not enough jobs or the, you're, not, you're never going to get paid in the same way if you go to a different job. You're going to lose out. There's elitism. You know, not everybody can know it. Only a few people will know it. There's a focus on physical and obsession with the body, body image, ageism, fear of growing old. And then if you compare that to the values of a conscious society, which is very much around creativity, you know, doing what you love, doing what moves you contributing to the society by following your unique interests, by allowing yourself to be uniquely you. I mean, I know that this podcast is definitely not the best out there, but I'm still doing what feels right for me, what speaks true for me, right? Self-connection, validation that comes from how you feel about yourself, not the external or social expectations, collaboration, you know, your winning means that you can uplift others, you can encourage others, you can create together, and you can trust in your own process. Conscious society values the focus on the spiritual, which is the awareness of that innate interconnected nature of life, that everything is connected, everything is energy. This kind of society also values knowledge, that is available to everybody. Life experiences are valued. Resources are shared. There's tolerance. There's uniqueness. Differences are celebrated, you know? But if we don't 
change our values, then what happens is we continue to live from the space of fear. It's not a healthy way to live because what we're doing is living from the past. We're not living our lives in a present, grounded, open, mindful, and confident way. We're actually living, being held back by the past. So I'm going to give you guys an example of the victim archetype. I remember many years ago when I was receiving therapy, this was probably about 17 years ago, maybe 16, somewhere around then. After a few months of consistent therapy, I still hadn't really reached a place of growth. I kept justifying reasons to why I couldn't change. I kept talking about how this was too hard, things were just not possible. And no matter what solutions me and my therapist came up with, I would inevitably find a way to sabotage it. I remember my therapist felt quite defeated. He would say, gosh, you know, I don't really know what else to do with you because I can't think of anything else. We're literally regurgitating the same previous session again. So what he decided to do was to replay a pattern for me. He showed me that no matter how clear the next step was for me, I always had an excuse. I would always say things like, oh, I just have bad luck with these things. It's never going to work. I'm too this, I'm too that. And, you know, I tried doing this, but it didn't work out because I spoke to this person and the people there were always mean or always rushed or always whatever, right? They don't seem to care about this or that, whatever it was. These are just excuses. It doesn't matter. I always had an excuse. So he confronted me with this and I got very angry. He literally confronted my ego because this is the many faces of the ego, right? These archetypes. And I got angry. I said, you know, what do you think I'm doing? You think I'm just making these things up? You don't understand. You don't know what my life is like. You don't get it. I was very angry at him. He remained calm. He remained patient and consistent and compassionate. And I really learned a lot from that experience because that's exactly what I have learned to do in my own work with my clients. As I became angry and then burst out in tears, he was the first person that held space for me. He held space for my pain. And that's when I was able to slowly get an insight into how my ego was holding me back. Because, you know, these patterns are put in place in childhood as a way to keep ourselves small, safe, as a way to cope. And looking back, I realized that, you know, my mom was a victim. I mean, you know, I love my mother to bits. She is an incredible woman who has come a long way since these stories that I'm sharing with you guys on this podcast, because she is, I look up to her now her beautiful, amazing strength and her courage, her kindness. But this is how it was for her before and this is how it was for us. So I grew up feeling guilty for her pain because I always saw her being victimized, feeling victimized. And I learned from my mother that blaming the world and being stuck in this pattern was a way to cope. 
And that's the thing. We become very accustomed to these patterns. We lose our sense of joy. We become resistant to joy. I've actually still, I, I shared it last time, I think it was last episode, that I'm still working on creating joy in my life. I became very resistant to joy. It's almost like everyone else can have it but me. Everyone else can feel happy but me. And I would actually get quite triggered by happy people. I would reject them. I would just go, well, can't stand those people, right? But the truth is that I couldn't stand them because I was incredibly resistant to the joy in myself. This is what the victim does. It becomes so hardwired within us that we automatically assume the worst and thereby we stay stuck in that victim consciousness. And I'm not referring to, when I, when I speak about the victim, I just want to be clear that I'm not referring to, like the word, the concept of victim is real. People do get victimized for racism, for violence, for physical abuse. I'm referring to victim consciousness, the victim mentality, right? The archetype is referring to the mentality, to the consciousness of that state of mind and thinking. And so what are some of the things you need to ask yourself when it comes to this archetype? Do you often feel sorry for yourself, comparing yourself with other people and wishing that things were different than they are? Do you often feel that you're less than other people, somehow feeling belittled by others, taking things on personally, feeling like you're a target in some ways? Do you often feel like other people have to change in order for you to feel better about yourself or in order for you to change? Do you find yourself often being very attached to the things that you own, to the money that you make? And even to how you want things to unfold. So usually with victims, there's a fear of change. There's a fear and there's a lack of trust in themselves or life itself. Um, and there's also uh, a, a lack of feeling safe from within. So feeling that their body doesn't support them, life doesn't support them. The world doesn't support them. Other people don't support them. And so to really get out of this victim mentality, we have to actually shift and change our attitude around how we see ourselves and how we see life. It's almost like you have to be still, do nothing, and let the goodness enter. Let the goodness come. Let the goodness be felt. And this is hard, right? This is not stuff that we easily allow ourselves to do. We're usually very much um, driven by getting out there and making things happen because we hate the feeling of not being in control. So these are often, um, yeah, th these are some of the traits of the victim archetype. So if you resonate with any of these examples, then I really encourage you to take a closer look at the victim within you, the victim narratives, the victim stories, and to know that you yourself are contributing to these narratives now. You no longer need them. And as you realize that you have a choice about how you show up, you'll be able to move away from silently suffering in this archetype and instead activating the part of you 
that is loving, that is supportive, that is uh, encouraging and that has a lot of faith in the life that you want to lead. One way to do that is to look up the mother archetype because it often stands for that ideal ideas you know that we have around the mother figure which is compassionate loving patient um, there's unconditional love there's safety there's nurture there's a sense of belonging and these are the things that are you know people who feel like victims rarely have experienced in their upbringing you know even their own parents have rarely experienced it but it's about that reparenting process it's really about activating these these qualities within yourself learning about these qualities how can I be more compassionate towards myself how can I be more loving how can I bring you know a bit more of that gentle internal dialogue you know self self-talk that is kinder that is more encouraging and supportive and you know nurturing into my life Okay, so I also want to talk briefly about some of the other archetypes. I don't know if we're going to be able to. I'm really going over time here. But um, I really want to introduce you guys to them because I think they're just so relevant to what happens to people. And I see this every day in the work that I do. Um, and the over-identification that we experience with who we think we really are. You know, it's like we, we get so attached to these personality traits, and yet they don't really serve us. They're the reason to why we experience health conditions and stress and so on, because we get so consumed with the narratives um, from these different archetypes, right? And I'll explain more what I mean by that. So if we look at the martyr, the martyr is all about, you know, taking over and uh, kind of walking into a space and a situation and taking over the whole show, being the one that wants to be the strong one, you know, enduring hard work by being noble and suffering in silence, you know, rescuing and saving people, um, putting a lot on your shoulders, and then also sometimes feeling resentful because you feel like you've been taken for granted. I know for me, that's definitely uh, an archetype. I'm still working on this, some aspects of that that are still a part of me, but I've let go so, so much. And I know that there's times when I do take things on and there's no need for me to do it. It's just that there's almost like an obsession that I have to do it. Um, I used to feel that even as a child, you know, I would felt responsible for my, for my sister, my younger sister, because my parents didn't get on. There was so much uncertainty and so much lack of safety in our home that I have to pretty much run around caring for her and caring for everything else. I remember, I mean, I have a memory of when I was five years old, five years of age, and I took a kitchen chair, put it next to the kitchen sink, got on top and started washing the dishes. And this was my way of trying to be a good girl, trying to bring harmony and peace into the family home. No one had asked me to wash the dishes, but my mom wasn't feeling good. And I so de desperately wanted to be a good girl and wanted to do something that would make mom feel better, make, you know, something better in the home because I 
I guess I was afraid. There was a sense of anxiety within me, and my way of dealing with it was to take care of others. And this is the beginning stages of how this martyr started to develop within me. Because, I mean, what five-year-old gets on a chair and starts hand-washing dishes? Can you imagine? And I remember my dad came home while I was washing the dishes. He gave me a kiss on the cheek, and he said, you're such a good girl. And that, just that on its own, reinforced that whole experience and behavior. Instead of saying, what are you doing? That's not, you know, you're, you're too young to do this. this. This is not your responsibility. You could hurt yourself. Come down. It's okay. He reinforced that behavior. And so it stayed with me. It became a big part of my personality. And interestingly enough, being a martyr, you get a lot of rewards for being a martyr, by the way. In our society, our culture rewards you for being a martyr, for self-sacrificing. And yet martyrs often complain of body pain and neurological stress, literally burdening their nervous system by neglecting their own self-care. And this is really what I went through. I know for myself for many years, I think it's also the reason to why I chose the profession that I chose. And yes, there were some really good things about that because it led me to gain further understanding and insight into myself and also help others. But I'm very mindful and conscious of not taking on more than I need to because the way to heal this or kind of move away, not heal, move away from this martyr archetype is through self-honor. So honoring the self putting yourself in a position of receiving attention, compassion, and service instead of constantly giving it to others. We need to first give it to ourselves. And it sounds perhaps selfish, but it's exactly what martyrs need. We need it for a while as a way to move towards this authentic self. The tricky thing with martyrs is that they tend to feel like their sense of joy comes from giving to other people. So a good sentence um, to carry with you or to you know repeat in your mind an affirmation is to say, no one needs to fix or heal me. I reclaim my power to look after myself. I am capable of releasing myself from any situation which doesn't let me be fully the person I am. So the whole thing around this archetype, the martyr archetype, is to take full responsibility for yourself, to know that you are enough and that you don't need to keep sacrificing your sense of self as a way to gain anything from the outside, whether it's love, attention, affection, a sense of belonging to a tribe, and this stuff takes courage, you know, it's not easy. I totally get it, you know. Our sense of survival is often, uh, well, has been for many, many years since the beginning of time being based around what we can get from the outside. But we're in a new paradigm now where everything's shifting. We can't keep living based on these fearful narratives. We have to work on building safety from within and moving away from things that just are not serving us anymore. I mean, okay, yes, I get it. There's a sense of 
attachment and there's a conditioning that comes with being in your comfort zone, being stuck in a pattern. And in order to break our patterns, we have to first increase our awareness about them and to not be afraid of having difficult conversations. Difficult conversations with yourself or even with your therapist or someone close to you, you know, conversations that help you dive deeper within yourself. Conversations that can be often very triggering and very difficult and challenging to actually look at things that we don't really want to see in ourselves and even in each other. Nothing will disempower a person quicker than feeling like they have to give up their dreams for the sake of their family members or their partner, their children, whatever it is, right? And whether it's done for approval or because of a desire to be loved and looked after or because of a sense of responsibilities, it diminishes a person's ability to really go after their dreams and live the life that they really want to live. Many people who exhibit the martyr qualities carry on suffering in silence rather than taking risks, which will actually transform their lives. It's really interesting because even to this day, there are times when this martyr and victim archetype and way of thinking creeps in and I notice it in my choice of words and in the way that I think about things. As an example, just the other day, I was um, about to have a look at another property and there was a lot of other interests. And I said to my husband, they're never going to pick us. It's just too much of a competition, too much of a other interest. It's never going to happen. Let's just leave. And I was so grateful that he called me up on it because this is how martyr mentality or victim mentality creeps in. Because in that moment, what I was doing was denying myself of something that could potentially happen for me, right? So this is how the martyr and the victim consciousness operates. There's a deep-seated belief that I'm not worthy. And so even when it comes to doing things that they love or doing things that are good for them, they actually stop themselves from experiencing whatever it is they want to do. Sometimes they use other people as an excuse to not do what they really want to do. For example, I used to get quite angry and upset with my husband because he would spend more time having fun and enjoying himself than taking care of responsibilities or cleaning the house or whatever that needed to get done. And I would actually blame him um, as a way to stop myself from doing what was good for me. And it wasn't until I became aware of this victim mentality that I realized that, you know what, no one's actually stopping me from doing what I want to do. I'm just using him as an excuse to not go and have fun myself, you know, to do some of the things that I enjoy doing too. And so this is kind of how this victim mentality creeps in. It's almost like we need permission to love ourselves, to do the things that brings us joy, to even discover what it means, to understand the meaning of joy, fun, and play. And so some of the questions to ask yourself is, 
Do you feel that you're less worthy than someone else to receive good things? How do you feel about your entitlement to happiness? How do you feel um, about your sense of worthiness? Do you feel that you're worthy of having the life that you want? Do you feel that you're worthy of receiving the things that you want in life? Or do you feel that you have to always sacrifice something or give up something in order to have what you want? So the language and the self-talk, the thoughts to be mindful of, is very much around blaming anything external for the fact that you can't have the life that you want or you can't do some of the things that are necessary for your well-being. Thinking in fearful ways, projecting that fear um, through judgment, through excuses, pretty much focusing always on lack or fear or, you know, there are no jobs out there or this thing is never going to happen for me or, you know, I have to be mindful and careful with this and that. Whatever it is, it's always focusing on survival and how something has happened in the past, so it's probably going to happen again. Um, so, yeah, the, the martyr and the victim really do go hand in hand and there's a few other archetypes that I think are connected to these survival archetypes, which I'd love to talk a bit more about but I'm gonna save those for a part two that's it for today guys thank you so much for tuning in if you're interested in working with me please visit my website mentalawakening.com.au where you can find more information about my work and my approach if you love this episode please do subscribe and leave a review on apple podcast this will help more people to access the information shared here other than that i will speak to you guys again in two weeks time until then take care everybody bye for now